A Saint for Man. This comes from Father John Bowles, who is the Regional Director of the Columbans in Britain. On a recent Columban promotional visit to the Isle of Man, I chanced upon a line of holy statues outside the Catholic Church in Ramsey. I recognised all the images apart from one, a small empty boat. That's the sign of St. Macheld, co-patron of the parish and patron saint of the whole Isle of Man, explained Father Gillespie. And when not attending to his duties as rector of the Beda College in Rome, Father Philip helped serve the Catholic population on Man and is well versed in the island's culture. He went on to relate the tradition of St. Macheld. When St. Patrick arrived in Ireland, he came across a brigand and freebooter called Machild, who eventually repented his evil ways and confessed his sins to the saint. Patrick pardoned him, but as a penance, pushed him out in a coracle with neither sail nor oars, saying, wherever you land will be your place of mission. Eventually he made landfall on the Isle of Man, just down the coast from Ramsey, at what is now called St Machild's Head. The castaway drank from a spring, still known as Machild's Well, and then stumbled upon two Irish monks, earlier disciples of Patrick, who had founded a small monastery nearby. Machild joined them, later becoming abbot and finally bishop of the Isle of Man around AD 500. And whatever the historical truth of the tale might be, the fact is that by this time Irish missionaries had succeeded in converting the inhabitants of the island, thereafter known as the Manx people, to Christianity. Moreover, this venture was just a small part of the great missionary wave that would carry Irish monks to much of northwest Europe, be it Columba, Common Seal, to Iona in Scotland, or our own St. Columban to France, Switzerland and Italy. Father Philip filled me in on a, a little more of the Isle of Man story. Incidentally, the name Man has nothing to do with gender. It probably comes from Manin, M-A-N-N-I-N, a corruption of the Celtic Manx word for island, and others say the word derives from Mananan, M-A-N-A-N-N-A-N, a Celtic sea god. And sitting as it does, more or less equidistant from England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales, the territory was considered fair game by any potential invader during the Middle Ages. It fell prey to the Irish in the 5th century. Not all those visitors from Ireland were peace-loving missionaries, apparently and followed by the Anglo-Saxons in the 7th century, the Vikings in the 8th, the Scots in the 13th, and the Normans in the 14th, each successive invader leaving its mark on the local culture and landscape. As a result, the Manx developed a distinct identity. In modern times, they've struggled to maintain the Manx language, akin to Celtic Irish, although the language enjoyed a post-war revival encouraged by, among others, Irish President Eamon de la Vera and is now spoken by almost 2,000 of the island's 84,000 inhabitants. By early modern times, the Isle of Man was effectively part of Great Britain. 
However, in 1866, in recognition the island's loyalty and individuality, Queen Victoria declared it a Crown dependency, subject not to the British Parliament but directly to the monarch. And hence, the Isle of Man is not part of the United Kingdom. It does not send representatives to the Westminster Parliament, instead maintaining its own parliament, the Tywald, T-Y-N-W-A-L-D. Reputedly, the Vikings established the Tynwald in A.D. 979, and it's said to be the oldest continuous representative institution in the world. Man did not take part in the 2016 referendum on European Union membership, and consequently some Manx legislators argue that Brexit does not apply to the Isle of Man. Situated amidst the remains of another ancient Kiel monastery a few miles south of St. Magild's, the Lonnon Wheel Cross is the finest Celtic monument on the Isle of Man and one of the best preserved in situ Celtic crosses anywhere in Europe. Dating from the 5th century, it's decorated with intricate interlacing and displays the characteristic Manx detail of four circular hollows at the junction of the shaft and arms. Intrigued by all this, I decided to visit the site of St. Macheld's Monastery. It is a deeply evocative place. Father Philip had already warned me that when you hear the term monastery, you tend to think of some big organised institution. But no, Celtic monasteries predate this. They are quite different. They started as collections of huts, keels in Manx, cells in English, with a monk alone in each little building, where he'd eat, sleep, pray, and even be buried when he died. At St Magild's you'll find the remains of four such structures, one has had an ancient church built over it and dedicated to St. Magild, leading people to claim that the very remains of the saint lie within. However, the real treasures are dotted around the site in the form of gravestones spanning some 15 centuries. Their designs reflect Manx, Irish, Saxon, Viking and Norman influences, with the inscriptions varying from Latin and Old English to Ogham script and Norse runes. I refreshed myself at St. Magild's Well. The local Anglican church still draws its baptismal waters from the spring, a moving example of Manx adherence to tradition. And finally, I scaled the summit of St. Magild's Head, looking out to where the currents of the North Atlantic churn into those of the Irish Sea. I imagined I could spot Magild tossed about in his tiny oarless craft, approaching the shore to evangelise a people and inspire an island. That article from Father John Bowles, entitled A Saint for Man.